going to dive into our next installment of our series, Diary of a Dreamer. We kicked it off last week. If you missed it, uh, we kicked off this series, and we're looking at the life of Joseph and gleaning some principles of life and faith from his life. I love to do character studies because there's so much we can glean from different individuals in the Scriptures, whether it's Joseph or Esther or David or Ruth. And the life of Joseph is called the Diary of a Dreamer because God gave him this dream and through this dream, it led to transformation in his family, in a nation. And again, last week we looked at the origin of a dream. And today we're going to talk about the stewardship of a dream. Before I do, I wanted to share this week uh, in the Burroughs family, it was a big week. We went on a road trip, a little bit of a family mini vacation to a lake in North Carolina. And I don't know about you, but anytime I hop on I-95, especially anywhere between Baltimore and Richmond, I heavily rely upon my GPS. Anybody else? Because you never know if you're going to hit standstill traffic even at 2 a.m. Come on, somebody. You're like, where in the world are these people going? Uh, Or you might have to take a detour. You might face an accident. So because of that, like I lean into my GPS, you know, when there's an accident up ahead, it says, would you like to take this route and save seven minutes? And you're like, yes, do birds fly? Uh, of course I want to save seven minutes. But, but anyways, as we go down, and the reason I rely upon the GPS, because it guides me, and here's what I know. Regardless of the traffic conditions, regardless of what accidents, regardless of what detours I may have to take, the GPS ensures that I arrive at my destination. That it will guide me along the way even when I have to make some changes in my route. And I thought about road trips because when it comes to the process of fulfilling the dreams that God's given us, if you missed last week, we talked about how our God is a dream giver. But the process, in fact, all of us here today probably have at least a dream, if not several dreams, that we are still waiting on, we're believing God for, that have not come to fruition. And in the process of that dream, it can oftentimes feel like a road trip, that you can face your own detours. Maybe you thought, maybe you were in a relationship that you thought he was the one. Come on, somebody. And then he told you he wasn't the one. (laughs) Or maybe you thought, like, Man, this job, I'm going to get this promotion, and then you were overlooked for the promotion. Or you thought that school you were going to get into was the school, but then you didn't get accepted. You got rejected. Or maybe you even feel like you're kind of steps in progress towards your dream. You kind of feel like you're in a little bit of standstill traffic. Or maybe you feel like I'm not only not making steps forward. You know one of the worst uh, experiences while driving on a road trip? Anybody experience this? When you watch the time until you reach your destination increase, come on, somebody. You're like, I'm moving forward. Why is this going up, right? And maybe you feel like that in your dream. Like like time has passed, but it still feels like I'm further away. And we're going to talk today about how do we navigate the different seasons of a dream. How do we navigate the ups and downs? How do we navigate the detours? How do we navigate the disappointments, the discouragements? Because if you're in this room, you probably had some moments, some seasons where you felt discouraged, where you felt disappointed, where you felt overwhelmed. We're going to talk today about how do we navigate, how do we steward the dreams God's given us. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's truly a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we pray as we open up your word today. Father, we know that you're speaking. God, it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. 
So we posture our hearts, our minds, our spirits to receive what you have for us today in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Genesis 39, if you have your Bibles, Genesis 39, we're going to look. We're going to read 12 scriptures out of Genesis 39. And, uh, and then we're going to kind of talk about a few applications from this passage. Uh, it says this in verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Now the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar then put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. And with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. On a side note, you know you're well-built and handsome when the Holy Scriptures say so. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Joseph was a fine brother. Woo! After a while. I mean, I was like, man, if if the Bible say anything about me, I think that'd be it. Come on, somebody. Like, you know I'm good looking. If I'm, I'm in heaven, if I'm Joseph, yeah, I'm him. Come on, somebody. After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. It's a little aggressive. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the servants were inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left the cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. I want to talk today about how we steward the dreams and the visions that God gives us. I want to share with you three applications from this passage in the life of Joseph. Uh, If you're taking notes, here's the first one. And that is to steward our dreams well, our visions well. We must steward each season with excellence. We must steward each season with excellence. The scripture tells us that Joseph was an inside servant. That's important. Because typically if you were a Hebrew servant, your initial days, months, and even years in the household, you would be put in the field. Because the field or where the entry-level sort of servants went into, it was, there was a separation. Only the best servants were invited inside. So the fact that Joseph was invited inside so quickly tells him he was excellent at what he did. Not to mention Potiphar had entrusted his entire, I love the Bible. It said Potiphar entrusted everything he had owned except what he ate. Come on, somebody. Potiphar was like, don't touch my food, all right? But, but he recognized, it tells us this, that Joseph was excellent as a servant. He didn't sit back and think to himself, man, this is a, this is a bad hand I was dealt. I'm just going to coast. I'm just going to sit until this dream comes to pass. 
No, he stewarded the season he was in well. It reminds you of Daniel chapter 6. I love the book of Daniel for many reasons, but this is one of them. In verse 3, it says that Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Daniel was distinguished by his excellence. Joseph was distinguished by his excellence. Can I say this? If you're a follower of Jesus, we should work in such a way, live in such a way that we are distinguished by our excellence. That in fact, may I say this? I think in workplaces all over this metropolitan area and the workplaces all over this nation and world, I think that Christians should be the most excellent, the most distinguished workers. Why? Because as Paul said in Colossians 3.23, that whatever we do, we work heartily because we're not working for human masters. We are working unto God. Did you know this? That your work on Monday is worship. That worship is more than the songs you sing on, on Sunday. It's how you handle those spreadsheets on Monday. It's how you care for those patients on Monday. How you teach those kids on Monday. How you lead your business on Monday. We are called to be salt and light. And the currency of our culture is excellence. We don't stand out by bringing our KJV Bible to work. We stand out by being excellent at what we do. Can I get an Amen. Daniel distinguished himself. Joseph distinguished These were, they were excellent at what they did. Daniel, this is an important note, Daniel 6.3, King Darius was in charge. He was the fourth king of Babylon that Daniel was under. Daniel has served for 39 years in Babylon before this moment. Here's what this tells us. Daniel had been in preparation for 39 years for this promotion. May I encourage you today that the current season you find yourself in, that the current season you are in is actually a training season for the next season you're about to walk into. That in the kingdom of God, nothing is wasted. No job is wasted. No season is wasted. No, no moment is wasted. No year is wasted. No month is wasted. Even when you feel like it's a bad week, can I encourage you? No week is wasted in the kingdom of God. That God uses the experiences of our life to develop us, to equip us, to train us for the next season we're going to walk into. And here's my encouragement to you. It's to steward the season you're in, regardless of what you're in, as if it's your dream season. And understand, listen, because, because we see in the, the life of Daniel, we see in the life of Joseph that it was, it was training, it was preparation. Listen. Joseph's dream, we're going to see in two weeks, we'll talk about this, is he was placed over the entire country of Egypt. Here's what I believe. God wanted to see, Joseph, can I trust you with Potiphar's house? If you'll be faithful with Potiphar's house, then I can trust you with the nation of Egypt. And be careful if you sit there and you just say, God, I'll be excellent when that business takes off. I'll be excellent when I'm in that dream career. I'll be excellent when I'm in the position I want to. And God in heaven, I believe today, is sitting down and saying, I'm waiting for you to steward the season you're in now well. The job you're in now well. The season you find yourself well. Because God responds to our stewardship, and he's developing us. He is training us. This is all throughout Scripture. Watch this. God used Moses' time in Egypt 
to train him for when he led the Israelites out of slavery. God used David's time shepherding sheep on the backside of a field to prepare him to shepherd the country, the nation of Israel. That God took, one more, I lost my place, Peter, that Peter was a fisherman. And what did Jesus say? Now, Peter, you were a fisherman. Now I'm going to have you fish for men. Come on. God redeemed. God used fishing. So don't you tell me God won't use that job you're in that you feel like is a holding pattern, that you feel like is meaningless. Don't think that this season you find yourself in in any way is unrelated to the dream in your heart. God's using it to train you. God's using it to prepare you for what he has for you. Matthew 25, 21, Jesus said this in the parable of the talents. Many of you know this, this passage, the parable of the talents. It's a master who gives his servants, three different servants, three different amounts of talents. One ten, one five, and one one. And the servants with ten produce ten more. The servant with five talents produced five, five more. And here's what he says to him. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Now I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now I think in Christendom sometimes we can focus a lot on faithful. Just being faithful to God. But you know that God wants you to be faithful, but he also wants you to be good good and faithful. Do you know what he called the servant who took one talent and, on, and only brought one talent back? He called him wicked and lazy. There's a correlation between a lack of fruit in your life and wickedness, according to the scriptures. That God expects us, listen, and then, watch this, he says, because you are faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Here's the principle. Write this down. How your faithfulness in this season will determine your fruitfulness in the next season. I was reminded this week of uh, years ago when I took the GRE. Anybody else take that exam? You still have trauma from that exam? Come on, somebody. I spent hours in the library with my GRE study books, the online practice. I haven't been to the library since. I spent too much time there. <laughs> But I, I, I was studying for that exam so much. And I remember I learned in my studies that on the GRE, that your performance in one section impacts the difficulty of the questions in the next section. In other words, each section builds on the next section. Every section's interconnected. May I submit this to you? The season you are in is closely connected to the season you're dreaming of. And in the same way that your performance in one section of the GRE determines your, your, the outcome in the next section of the GRE, don't get it twisted. Your stewardship of this season of your life will determine the dream season of your life. Because God's seeing, Joseph, can I trust you with Potiphar's house before I entrust you? With the nation of Egypt. The same for us. How we steward this season will impact our next season. And then watch this. He says, now come and share in the master's happiness. This is important to write this down. Here's what, what Jesus says in this. 
satisfaction or happiness will not come when your dream comes to pass. Satisfaction comes when you learn to steward this season well. If you think that dream, that job, that marriage, that child, that home, that income is going to bring you happiness, you are mistaken. He says when you learn to steward right where you are well. You know one of the tactics of the enemy is to make you think the next is the best. So then your whole life you live disappointed and sad and frustrated. Because you keep thinking the next job, the next raise, the next degree, the next woman. No, don't do that one. Okay, come on, somebody. (laughs) You keep thinking the next, the next, the next, the next. And you will spend your life all the way to your grave believing the next was the best. And God's saying, listen, if you would have just stewarded right where you are well, you would realize that was the best. Steward the season you find yourself in well. Steward it with excellence. Here's point number two we learn from Joseph. To steward our dream well, we must stand firm with integrity. We must stand firm with integrity. As I said, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And Potiphar's wife took notice. And she threw herself at him. Let me give you context before you become very judgmental of Potiphar's wife. I could see in some of your faces, come on, you're like, how could she? It was actually very common in ancient Egypt for you to have an adulterous affair. It was accepted. Like, everybody had a side relationship. So it was culturally normative in ancient Egypt. So what Potiphar's wife did, you know, not saying it wasn't hurtful to Potiphar, but you wouldn't have necessarily batted an eye. But here's what Joseph said. Noted he said this. I will not sin against my God. Here's the reminder. Is that for Joseph and for us, our standard is not the culture we live in. That our standard is the word of God. As New Testament Christians, our standard's not culture. Our standard is Christ. Our standard are his words. Our standard are his ways. That's the standard. Here's why. Because it's a better standard. He said, I came to give you life and life more to the full. And Joseph said, listen, even though I could get away with sleeping with you, I will not. Because God's ways are the best ways for my life. Romans 12, the apostle Paul writes to the Roman church. The Roman church in verse 1, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters... In view of God's mercy, you can sense the urgency, the intensity of the tone of his words. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Watch this. This is your true and proper worship. Then it gets practical. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, his perfect will. If you know ancient Rome... They had a very strong culture in Rome. And in the Roman church, there was some, the culture was influencing the church. So Paul writes this letter. If you know the book of Romans, you know, the beginning of Romans, he gives doctrine. On the back side of Romans, he gives, put it this way, the front side of Romans, he gives orthodoxy, right believing, right thinking. 
on the back side of Romans, he gives what's called orthopraxy, right living. So how do we live this out? That's why Romans is a beautiful book to read. Because the first part, Paul's like, this is what we believe. On the last part, this is how we live. It's beautiful. Why is Romans so comprehensive? It's because Paul never visited Rome up until this point. So he wrote them all the things he would want to tell them if he was able to see them in person. So he tells them this. Don't conform to the Roman culture, the pattern of the culture, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are not called to conform to the culture. We are called to be transformed into the image of Christ by the word of God. Let me contrast the Roman culture they were living in compared to the ways of Jesus. There were some stark contrasts, which is what Paul was referring to. At that time in Roman culture, they, in Roman culture, they valued some lives, namely wealthy Roman men. But in the kingdom of God, we honor all lives because everyone was made in the image of God. Can I get an amen? Including the unborn. That was the case in Rome. Roman culture was full of greed and consumerism. Followers of Jesus were extravagantly generous. Roman culture was full of racial, gender, and class injustice. While followers of Christ stood out for the way they cared for and loved all people, including racial minorities, women, and those living in poverty. Roman culture was full of sexual immorality. And the, the followers of Christ in Rome stood out for their radical commitment to sexual integrity. Sex between, uh, is contained between a husband and a wife. In fact, one of the reasons they said the Roman church uh, grew so much was because in Rome, it was commonplace for Roman men to sleep around where women knew that the, the Christians in Rome were committed. So they had lots of children. <laughs> the church grew exponentially because of these factors. There was a difference. As I was thinking of culture, it reminded me of waves. For a season of my life, I lived, lived near the ocean on the coast and, you know, Waves, when they come in, and many of you know this, that when they, a, a wave hits the shore, it can create land erosion. And erosion is bad for multiple factors. For us who's on the land, it leads to flooding. Uh, for the water and the species that live in the water, it leads to pollution. In fact, it leads to a decrease, they found, of fish and other species in the water. So it leads to a host of problems. Erosion is a bad thing. So what often happens is on the coastlines, they'll build seawalls. They'll build what's called breakwaters, these like kind of walls made of rocks far out. So the waves hit those walls, hit those barriers, and they don't actually come crashing down on the shore. So it prevents erosion. If you go to the beach next time, you'll see some kind of probably structure, some further out. They'll either be like perpendicular or horizontal, and it's helping to break the waves so that it does not create Erosion. And in the same way, there are waves in the water that create this erosion. There are waves in our culture, if we're not aware, it can erode the quality of our life and our faith in Christ. There are cultural ideologies that are in our culture that are contrary. In the same way in Rome, the same way today in 2023 in America, there are cultural ideologies that we must be aware of as followers of Christ. For example... There are cultural ideologies that tell us that our value is in our position or our possessions or our power. But how many of you know if you put your identity in what you do or how much you own, that is an unstable identity. The Bible says everything in this world will be shaken, but one kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, will never be shaken. So as followers of Christ, we root our identity 
not in the things we own or the things we do. We root our identity as a child of God because that will never change. There are cultural ideologies that devalue people based on their race or their culture or their wealth or their political perspective. But we know in the kingdom of God and the word of God that everyone, every man, every woman, every child, every race, every culture, every class is made in the image of God and has inherent value because of that. Can I get an amen? There are cultural ideologies that view sexuality and gender as fluid. But we know this leads to more confusion. It's not God's best for our life. That God made us male and female and for sex to be contained in the context of marriage. There are cultural ideologies that promote consumerism and greed. But we know, as the Bible says, greed is a trap and a dangerous one. As followers of Christ, we know, as Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. This isn't a us versus them. Don't get it twisted. This isn't like, oh, let's guard against culture. No, it's us being where as followers of Christ because the Bible says this in John 10.10, 10, that Jesus came to give you life and life more to full, but the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And these ideologies that our culture promotes and elevates, whether it be greed, the Bible says greed's a trap. Sexual immorality. You know the Bible says the only sin that's against your, your own self is sexual immorality, meaning any sex outside of the context of marriage. The Bible says pride. In a culture where there's an abundance of pride, it said pride comes before the fall. Hear the heart of God. He doesn't want you to fall. He doesn't want you to be in a trap. So his ways are not just a higher way. His ways are a better way. Can I get an amen? He said, I'm the way, Jesus said. I'm the truth and I'm the life. Here's what Christ said in Matthew 7, verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that's a key factor, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against this house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Here's what Christ reminds us. Storms in life will come. Cultural ideological waves will come. Hardships will come. Stress will come. Difficulties will come. Sickness will come. Betrayal will come. Injustice will come. But Jesus said, even when those things come, those who hear my words and put them into practice are like those who built their life. On the rock. As the old hymnal says, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is shifting sand. So what's the application for us as the people of God? That if you are a follower of Christ, we are, as they used to call the Christians in ancient Rome, you know what they called them? They were people of the book. They lived according to the word of God. They read the word of God. They put the word of God into practice. They gathered like we do. This is why church is so important. I want you to hear this. Church is not a religious exercise. We gather together to worship King Jesus first and foremost, but also to sit under the corporate teaching of the word of God because this is the way that God designed it, that we would build our life upon the presence of God and the word of God so that when the storms of life come, when the wind beats against your, your, your life, when the waves come, when the rain comes, and please hear this, they will. 
you are like those who built their house upon the rock. And you say, whatever wave comes, whatever wind comes, whatever storm comes my way, I have built my life. And here's what it looks like, not just hearing the word, but putting it into practice. That's why we encourage you, don't just come to church, but, but build relationships. Get into a community group where you're, where you're reading the word, you're studying the word, you're discussing the word, you're praying for each other. Because the church of Jesus, let me, let me say this, the word of God and the church In the same way they put up seawalls to prevent erosion, when you build your life on the word of God and the house of God, it helps to prevent erosion to the quality of your life. Hear the words of Jesus. He said when you hear my word and you put them into practice, he says this in Luke, blessed you will be when you do them. That word blessed means happy. It's makarios. He says you'll be joyful. You'll be fulfilled because you've built your house your life on the word of God. Psalm 119, 105 reminds us this word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Second Timothy reminds us it equips us for every good work. Hebrews 4 reminds us it's the sword of the spirit to wield against the attacks of the enemy. John 8, 32 reminds us the word of God holds the truth, the truth that sets us free. Isaiah 48 reminds us the word of God will stand forever. Can I tell you this? Ideologies will come and go. Philosophies will come and go, but God's word is here forever. Can I get an amen? Amen. Everything else will come and go. Everything else is shifting sand. Build your house on the rock. Can I speak specifically to parents for a moment? Hey, parents, it is your role and responsibility as mom, as dad, to lead your children into the ways of Christ. That they build their life at a young age on the rock of Jesus Christ. And listen, I think soccer is great. Baseball is wonderful. Let them learn violin, all the instruments. But can I tell you what's most important than anything else is your child's soul. And what's going to matter more than anything else at the end of this day is not a soccer scholarship. It's not them playing in professional sports. It's not them getting whatever it might be in accomplishments. It's that the fact they have built their life on the rock of Jesus Christ. So when the winds and waves and storms of life and culture come, they have built their life on the one who came to give them life. And hear this, I love you as your pastor. I'm passionate because I have three kids of my own. They're my responsibility, not yours. Hey, mom and dad, your kids are your responsibility, not mine. You are the chief shepherds in their life. You are their pastors. You are the ones that are called to lead them in the way. That you need to build a life. You need to be like Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Listen, you don't give your kids an option on whether or not to go to school. When you raise them, when they don't know yet better, why would you give them the option of whether or not we as a family are going to read God's word? Or we are going to come to church? Say one last thing. I know I'm stepping on some toes because I love you. Mom and dad, more important than any message you preach is you living it out. Hey, Dad, they see you repenting of sin. When's the last time you told your kids publicly, I messed up? I, I let my voice raise a little too much. Dad, Dad looked angry at the best of them. Hey, do your kids see you reading the word of God? Do your kids see you in a community group? Do they know, hey, where's mom going tonight? Oh, she's got a, she's got a, a group, a Bible study. Do they see you prioritizing church and saying no to other things? 
like birthday parties and soccer clinics. Listen, I'm all, my kids are in those things. But can I tell you this? It's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a follower of Jesus and a parent. But the most important thing for your child is a relationship with Jesus Christ. So they need to see it in you. They see you passionately pursuing. Do they see you saying no to things because you've decided to put God first in your finances? That's how you help your kids build their life on the rock of Jesus. They see it in mom and dad. Because what you don't want is mom and dad preach a message they didn't live out. It's called hypocrisy. And they'll eventually see it for what it is. They need to see it. Listen, God has not called us to be perfect. We all need Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. But listen, he has called us to steward the children he's entrusted us to. Okay, we'll move on. And then Joseph, he, he has this moment. So he comes in the house. So also know this. Joseph intentionally avoided, the Bible says this, he avoided going into the house when she was in there alone. Hey, write this down. God's grace is sufficient, and you'll never be perfect, so don't, don't try to be perfect. But, however, it is wisdom to structure your life to avoid temptation to sin. Joseph was like, I don't know, maybe he thought she was attractive too. He was like, she's into me, I don't know, I'm a man. And the Bible says he's well-built and handsome. He intentionally avoided being in the house alone with her until she kicked all the servants out. Can I tell you, it's wisdom for you to not go to certain places. If you have an issue with lust, it's, it's wisdom to not watch certain movies because they have a sex scene. That's not religious. It's called wisdom. If you've had an issue with drinking, it's wisdom for you not to be at the bar, especially at certain hours. Come on, somebody. It's wisdom for you to avoid, to, to structure your life. It's not religious. It's, it's wisdom. So he, he goes in. And, and he, she, she then tries to grab him by the cloak, and he, he runs like he stole something. Come on, somebody. <laughs> he left his cloak. Maybe he was naked. I don't know. But he runs out. He flees. You know what that tells me? Joseph had already pre-decided in his heart, when she comes on to me, I'm running. He didn't stop for a moment and think, should I? No one's here. I work hard. Do you want to know how the enemy will oftentimes get Christians bound in sin? Is he gets you to a place where you feel justified in doing what you're doing. We've not been good all week. I can have that extra drink that I know is putting me over at the limit. You know, I've been doing really well. I'm just going to, here's a lie of the enemy when you say this, just once more. I'm just going to go to that website just one more time. I'm going to call her just one more time. I'm just going to have her go over, come over one more time. Can I tell you, just one more time is a dangerous lie from the pit of hell. Because then you live a life for you to say just one more time. Just one more time. Just one more time. Just one more time. Three years later. Five years later. Seven years later. And you've been living a life where you bound by just one more time. So here's what you have to do. Now, I'm going to unpack this word for you, so in case some of you, your church background, it evokes some images. But you have to pre-decide to live holy. Here's what I mean by holy. I don't mean you have to pre-decide not to go to the movies. Come on, somebody, if you grew up in a holiness background. 
but you have to predecide. Here's what holy means. Holy is not perfect. Holy, by definition, means to live set apart. It means this, that we are holy as a child of God. We've been set apart by God. So we are called to live differently. It doesn't mean you're going to get it right all the time, but it means you predecide. It means I predecide how I will respond when I have lustful thoughts. I'm going to predecide, and let me just say this. You know that area. Paul said this, there are things I do that I wish I didn't do. And we probably all have at least one area of our life. Maybe you have outbursts of anger. Maybe for you it's drinking. Maybe for you it's some sort of sexual sin. Maybe for you it's whatever. You're jealous. Maybe you're judgmental. I don't know. Whatever that area is for you, that area where the enemy has, has, has kind of tries to keep coming after him. It's pre-decide and put some safeguards in place. Like I'm going to pre-decide. I'm not going to go to certain stores because when I go in there, I spend more than I should. Come on, I, I'm going to set a budget and have a friend hold me accountable. I, I'm going to pre-decide. I'm going to limit my time on social media because if I scroll too much, I get caught in the comparison trap. And then I think less of my life because I see their highlight reels and I'm comparing their highlight reels to my everyday life. And jealousy and envy is making me feel less than. So you have to recognize and pre-decide, this is how I'm going to live. I'm not going to, I'm going to avoid certain places, avoid doing certain things, avoid watching. It's not religious and it's just for you. You have to decide for you what that looks like. Paul said this, 2 Timothy 2.22, he said, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So Paul says, pre-decide to live holy and pre-decide to pursue God. So that means maybe you pre-decide I'm not going to some places I used to go to. You know, on the flip side, say this, I'm going to pre-decide now to go to the community group. I'm going to put the events of that group in my calendar. I'm going to pre-decide. I know maybe you're traveling this summer, you have camps, you have family in town. But I'm going to pre-decide to prioritize the house of God because it's here that I'm encouraged in the word, that we gather in God's presence. I'm encouraged by one another. I'm going to pre-decide. I'm going to be at Serve Day on July 15th. I'm bringing my family with me. I'm going to pre-decide some things. Pre-decisions will help you from making bad decisions. I, I remember this past, uh, this road trip I was on. And uh, before I left for the, for the road trip, I knew, I pre-decided some things. I was like, I want to continue to eat relatively healthy on the road. And I knew going down 95, I would be confronted with the restaurant called The Cookout and their milkshakes. Come on, somebody. So I had to pre-decide. Your boy packed some protein bars. And I imagined it was a milkshake. But then it tasted like chalk because it had protein, so it wasn't. But I, I wanted to pre-decide. I pre-decided to eat healthy. So when I was confronted with an unhealthy decision, I'd already decided way back here. That's what this does. Is I've already pre-decided how I'm going to respond when I'm confronted with that temptation. I, I've already pre-decided this summer, I, I, I'm making reading God's word a priority so it's in my calendar every day. I pre-decided I'm going to make gathering together with my church a priority. I pre-decided some things. I want to encourage you to do that this summer, as Joseph did. So you have to stand firm with integrity. And here's my last and final point. Listen, you have to be strengthened by God's spirit. 
Four times in this passage, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. 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 So don't get it twisted. Joseph is great. I mean, he's well-built and handsome. However, what happened in Joseph's life was the work of God, not of a man. It wasn't because he was excellent. It was because the Lord was with Joseph. It wasn't because he was integrous. It was because the Lord was with Joseph. And let me remind someone today, maybe you feel like you're in a season and you feel like God is distant. Maybe God is afar off. Maybe you've been disappointed. That relationship that you thought was it didn't work out. You went through another in vitro treatment and you're still not pregnant. You applied once again to that school and you got another rejection letter. And maybe you're feeling disappointment, but write this down. Do not allow your disappointments to cause you to doubt God. Because he is for you. He is good and what he does is good. Do not allow your disappointments at work to give up on that dream career. Do not allow your disappointments while waiting for a spouse to cause you to give up on your dream of a marriage. Do not allow your disappointments in whatever situation, whatever dream to cause you to give up on God. Take a note from the, from the, from the life of Abraham. We shared about Abraham last week. He received his dream at 75 years old. May I remind you, none of you in this room or watching online are too old to dream again. And none of you are too young. Joseph was 17. So none of us have an excuse. God has fresh dreams for us. And at 75, he got this dream to be the father of many nations. His wife was barren. It took 25 years for his dream to come to pass. It took 22 years for Joseph. Take some time for the fulfillment of God's dream to come in our life. But what you see in the life of Abraham is repeatedly, Abraham went back to God. Can I tell you this? In whatever season you find yourself in, make it a habit to continually go back to God, to continually look for God. And so often God would say this to Abraham. Hey, Abraham, Abraham, look up at the sky. See how many stars in the sky? Count them up. That's how many your offspring will be. Hey, hey, Abraham, look, look at the grains of sand on the seashore. So shall your offspring be. Abraham had to be re-envisioned. You're going to need to be re-envisioned in the midst of disappointment. Because here's what the enemy wants. He wants your discouragement to turn into doubt so you lose faith for your dream to come to pass. And we don't walk by sight. We don't walk by doubt. We don't walk by disappointment. We walk by Faith. That means even though I do not see it, I believe it. But then Joseph ended up in prison. You might think to yourself, that's kind of a, a bad outcome. He didn't do anything wrong to our knowledge, right? He, he got put in prison. But here's what I want to submit to you. Potiphar putting Joseph in prison was actually protection. Here's why. The penalty of in ancient Egypt for adultery, which what he was accused of, was 1,000 blows. The penalty of rape, what he was accused of, was death. He received neither 1,000 blows nor death. He was placed in the prison directly beneath Potiphar. Where would Joseph's dream come to fulfillment? 
underneath the leadership, oh, sorry, not Potiphar, a Pharaoh. Can I tell you, sometimes what seems like a prison is actually God's form of protection. That you think to yourself, why did I not get that promotion? It's because God was actually protecting you from what you cannot see because he sees the end from the beginning. Well, why did that relationship work out, pastor? It's because God was protecting you from that joker. Come on, somebody. That sometimes protection comes in the form of prison. In fact, as I did my study across all the commentaries, it was concluded that perhaps the reason why Potiphar did not kill Joseph was because Potiphar knew his wife was lying because it wasn't her first time. But God's hand was on Joseph. Can I tell you what seemed like a setback to go from being over Potiphar's house now into prison was actually a set up right underneath the Pharaoh, which we're going to see in the coming weeks. And I want to submit this to you. That Some of you, maybe you think to yourself, Jeremy, I have this dream, but the last two months, the last two years, I've gone through detour after detour. Or maybe you feel like someone sitting in traffic. I'm sitting in a standstill. I've been believing God for this in my marriage, and I'm still right here. I've been believing God for this business to take off, but three years later, I'm still in the red and can't draw a profit. But may I encourage you, That even when you do not see God working, God is with you. What does the psalmist say in Psalm 46? The psalmist writes this while three enemies are attacking him. He writes, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. That God is an ever-present and always-present help in time. Of trouble. Can I encourage someone today, regardless of where you find yourself, God is with you. What did, what did God say in Deuteronomy? I will never leave you, nor I will never forsake you. What are the last words of Jesus? I will be with you to the end of the age. What is this song we were just singing? Not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in his place. Come, Holy Spirit. Dry bones awaken. The Lord is in this place. This is a word for somebody. You have felt like God has forgotten about you, but God has never forsaken you. In fact, I truly believe this in my spirit. The Spirit of God has actually been protecting you. The Spirit of God has actually been strengthening you, even when you do not see it. He is our ever-present help in our time of need. God's spirit will strengthen you. God gave power to David to fight Goliath. God gave courage to Joshua to lead the Israelites to cross the Jordan. God gave boldness to Esther to approach the king on behalf of her people. And God will give you strength where you feel weak, as Paul says. That greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the grave lives on the inside of you. His grace is sufficient. His mercies are new every morning. Not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. 
Hebrews 4.16, my last scripture. The author of Hebrews writes, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We cry out to God for help. I was reminded of two years ago, my son Judah was learning how to swim. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of proud dad today. He, he took this up at baptism this morning. And uh, we actually had 19 people get baptized this morning. At 8 a.m., I, I told first service, we do it at 8 a.m. just to see if you, really, if you really love Jesus. Come on, somebody. It's easy to get baptized at noon. 8 a.m., that water was freezing. Uh, but no, um, he was learning how to swim. So he had this, and he, he had this desire to swim. He wanted to swim. But he would get real nervous in the water when his, like, strength would give out. And he'd be paddling and trying to keep up. And he was kind of nervous of, 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 of going his head underneath the water. So I remember two years ago we were on vacation at this pool. And, and he kept wanting me to, like, kind of hold him up. And I said, son, like, you're not going to learn how to swim unless I let go. I said, but hear this. The moment you are struggling, just, just call for me. Or even when I see you struggle, your dad will lend his strength. And can I tell you this morning, wherever you are on your process of your dream, the Holy Spirit wants to lend his strength where you are weak. He wants to give you guidance where you feel lost, and he wants to give you help where you have a need. We steward our dreams well when we are strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for you, church. You can bow your heads with me this morning.